Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus. Titus, we finished up Jonah last week and uh, are going to start a new series together. I'm really excited about this series for a few reasons. Uh, If you've been around Gospel Hope Church at all, you know that one of our prayers is that God would make us a healthy church that plants healthy churches. And so our goal with God's help and by his grace and in his timing is that God wouldn't just have a lighthouse, a, uh, a place here, but that he would continue to spread us out and push us into new places. I know some of you are praying specifically about places you love in the valley, and uh, that's part of it. But we were actually at a breakfast, uh, and Nick Peterson said, so what defines a healthy church? Well, the book of Titus helps us in that direction to see what a healthy church looks like. And so I'm excited to, to study through it together. Uh, I do want to thank, uh, we, we had a lot of guys in our church flex so we could take this picture. do want to thank the guy who, uh, who's been working out enough for that. Um, but I'm also excited for this series because there are going to be a number of people who are going to be doing the preaching. So there are about five of us who are going to rotate through over the next couple months and uh, excited. Uh, I'm going to preach this week and next week. And then uh, Lloyd Larkin's going to preach for a week. And uh, Paul's going to, Paul Folks is going to preach. Nick Peterson's going to preach. Danny's going to preach. They're going to be get some variety uh, as we go through the book of Titus together. So we're very excited to study through it together. If you've never studied the book of Titus, let me make a quick recommendation for you. Uh, A company called The Bible Project has done little kind of snippet uh, surveys of books of the Bible, and you can actually Google and look for there. Just look up Titus and The Bible Project, and they have a little infographic that'll kind of give you a snapshot. It's about 10 minutes long of the book of Titus and will help you along the way. We're going to start just with the introduction today, uh, verses 1 through 4, and it's actually one of Paul's longer introductions, and uh, there's good reason for it. I'm excited for us to look at it together. Let's read these verses, then we'll pray and uh, jump into the sermon this morning. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you're using one of the uh, Bibles out of the chair rack, it's page 998. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, so Paul to Titus my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray together and we'll study God's word. God, we thank you that you have brought us here today. Our souls are weary. They do feel at times discouraged. Sometimes we sing about living hope and hearts filled with joy and our hearts feel far from those places. But God, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation. Would you strengthen our hearts in your word, by your spirit? Would you remind us of what is true? There is so much out there claiming to be true right now that we, our heads are left spinning sometimes. And so would you just help us to take a step back and look to what is eternally true, what is certainly true, what we don't have to guess about, Would we join arms together and say, yes, that is the cause that we are following, the Savior we are pursuing that can change our own lives and this community. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, Sometimes I wonder if we don't need a little more Bob Ross in our lives. For those of you who don't know Bob Ross, uh, you've missed it, first of all. (laughs) Secondly, uh, you could, at uh, different times, you could go get a Bob Ross, you know, uh, hair costume if you wanted that's available. There's books, uh, T-shirts. There's a lot of T-shirts out there. Bob Ross is a pretty amazing artist. In 30 minutes, starting from scratch, he could create basically a landscape painting that was beautiful. If you gave me like 30 hours, I couldn't create anything in the ballpark of what Bob Ross kind of casually and soothingly creates in about 30 minutes. He was on PBS with his show, The Joy of Painting, for about 10 years, 30 seasons, 400 episodes. And uh, if you are looking for a good thing to help you relax or wind down, you can probably enjoy a little bit of Bob Ross. And that hair is just something. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And one of Bob Ross's famous quotes was, we don't make mistakes, just happy little accidents. And so he would maybe, uh, I don't even know if it was a mistake or if he was pretending to make a mistake, but uh, he, would, he would have paint hit somewhere on his art project. And then he would go, oh, we'll just make that into a happy little tree. Or he'd make happy clouds. Or, you know, he was just this amazing painter. But here's the reality. Most of our art is a lot more mistakes than happy little accidents right? I mean, my art never had happy little accidents, just a lot of mistakes. PBS never contacted me for a, uh, I know it's shocking to some of you, for a TV show. But when we talk about the church, the reality is that healthy churches are not just happy little accidents. They actually happen on purpose. If we were going to state it uh, negatively, we would say this this morning, healthy churches don't happen by accident. You're going to see in the book of Titus, that God is very intentional about what he wants churches to be and what it's going to take to be that church. If you want to say it positively, you say it this way, healthy churches happen on purpose and with a purpose. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning that we see in the book of Titus. First is just kind of an overview of the book, and then we'll look at verses one through four. Now, this book was written to Titus so that he could go back to an island where Paul had started ministry. And he could help those churches. And so if you wonder what the island of Crete looks like today, that's a bit of what it looks like. Uh, For those of you who've been stuck in your homes, that doesn't look too bad, does it? Right? In Paul's day, it was a place of commerce. It was a hub for the Mediterranean Sea. And so Paul saw it as a valuable place for churches to be planted and to reach the world. But the reality is that Crete was an island like a lot of islands. It wasn't an easy place. Though it was a place of relaxation, maybe, it was a tough place. Look down at uh, chapter 1, verse 12. What was it like to serve the people and to pursue a healthy church on the island of Crete? Verse 12 says this. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's pretty tough. I mean, I think if, if as a parent you sat down with your teenage child and said, hey, we need to talk. What I see in your life is that you are a liar, an evil beast, and a lazy glutton. Or if, or if Danny sat down with me after a pastor's meeting and said, hey, Matt, we need to talk. And then he said, hey, he just laid it on me. He's like, hey, here's what I see. It would be pretty intense, wouldn't it? And then look at the next verse. This testimony is what? True. That's what it's like. The Greek word for lying actually comes right out of this idea of being a Cretan. They were so dishonest, it was just part of who they were and and how the world identified them. 
You know, as beautiful as islands are, they aren't always the easiest places. When we were down in Hawaii, where Kevin's serving now with Calvary Church of the Pacific, we just saw, hey man, this is a hard place. So, some of the things that are indicated here are, are prevalent in those sort of cultures, but, but tough places are everywhere, aren't they? I mean, we could write something like this about Riverton or Salt Lake City. God could write something about this about our own hearts, couldn't he? Crete was a tough place. It was a place that only cared about itself. Right? Why do we lie? We lie because it gets us an advantage or saves us from pain. And for a moment, it makes things better. But what does it do in the end? Makes it a lot worse. Why do we trample on other people to get what we want? Why, do we, why are we lazy or self-indulgent? It's because life is about me. And that's no less true in Crete than it is in America. While Crete might have been a life is a beach culture, America could probably be characterized as a have it good culture or a have it my way culture, a place of independence, achievement, prosperity, and freedom. I mean, you look at how tightly we hold on to some of that stuff. Look at the reaction to what's happened in the last six months. I mean, we are losing our minds because our culture, our way of life is in some way threatened. And so what we find in the book of Titus is this. Healthy churches are resisted by their culture. We shouldn't expect this world to be a friendly place to walking with Jesus and doing that all together. But beyond that, healthy churches are important to Jesus. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. There's a challenge in these verses to husbands, but then it kind of unpacks for us a little bit about how Jesus sees the church, the gathering of his people. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, here's the challenge, men, in our marriages. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. This is Jesus' plan for his people to give himself for them, to save us from our sin, to wash us with his word that we might end up mature and healthy and beautiful in his eyes. Now, now listen to me. Jesus will accomplish his mission. But part of what we pursue together is to be the kind of church that he has saved us to be. I remember on my wedding day, that first opportunity to see Colleen in her wedding dress and that kind of take your breath away moment. We're just going, there's my bride in all her beauty. Some of you are trying to imagine me in that moment. You're probably like, looks good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I didn't do that. It was, it was better than that. But we can all see that the spectacular nature of a bride in her glory. And, and in many ways, that's what Jesus has saved the church to be. It's important to him. And, and I, I'm just struck 
as I read through the New Testament about all the messes that Paul and others are just constantly trying to address in the church. Do you know why that's so important? Because of what Jesus has done. When we look at ourselves as a church and say, man, we, we see the mess, don't we? I mean, because what is a church? A church is just a group of people. Gospel Hope Church became a mess the minute I became a part of it. It became a place of need, a place of sin. It became a place of, of weakness just because I'm here. And then you all just added to it. But Jesus has a purpose for his church, that he would shape it. And that Ephesians talks about the fact that the church is supposed to grow to fit the head, which is Jesus. Jesus wants to make us a place of holiness and joy and hope and peace. Like, that is his plan. It's important to him. Go back to Titus 1. So, why did Paul write this letter to Titus? Verse 5. This is why, Titus 1 verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order, so that you could fix what's out of joint or what's a mess and put it back in place. You ever had a dislocated bone? It's pretty awful, isn't it? And then the doctor helps set it in place. That's this picture of something being set back in place. And the idea is that every place that you go, every church that you're a part of, has stuff that's out of whack, like we talked about last week. It needs more whack, right? Is that what you said, Danny? That God wants to put things in order. And you'll see throughout the book of Titus this idea of things being sound or healthy. Look at verse 9. This is talking about pastors. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound, that's the word for health, sound doctrine. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So sound living that fits with sound doctrine. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Bon, or, uh, that there's, show yourself, verse 7, in all respects be a model of good works, verse 8, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. God is pursuing and wants us to pursue being a healthy church. To be sound in, in how we think, in what we believe, and in how we live. And that doesn't happen magically. It happens on purpose. Colossians 1 verse 28 says this, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this isn't surprising, is it? I mean, if I told you, so I'm going to turn 40 next year, if I told you that one of my goals is to be much more healthy at 40 than I am at 39, you would probably ask a follow-up question to that. Besides, you'd be like, that'd be good, right? Then you would ask a follow-up question, right? So what's the plan? How are you going to do that? My wife and I, beginning of this year, uh, kind of made up a plan. You can see it's going very well. 
Um, we, we had a plan. And uh, I've, I've appreciated and benefited from Weight Watchers, so I subscribe to it. And I feel like I've spent the year watching my weight, right? <laughs> Been watching it. And uh, we also signed up because Colleen wanted to do some health videos to Beachbody online. I don't think either of us has a Beachbody yet, but we're pursuing health in a way. There's a plan. There's a, there's a pursuit. There's a path. And that path starts in the introduction in Titus chapter 1. Let's look at these verses again. Healthy churches happen on purpose and with purpose. It starts like this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Healthy churches happen with purpose. And you'll notice that the start here is a surrendered purpose. Do you notice this? Healthy churches are filled with serving and sent Christians. You see how Paul identifies himself? Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's always how I identify myself. A servant. And maybe that's because of the way that I view life or the pursuits that are important to me. But is that how you view yourself? I mean, think about servants. Words that we associate with servant are things like work, obey, serve, depend. This was Paul's fundamental identity. Now, if we want to figure out if we viewed ourselves as servants, we could just ask, what are you willing to do? You know what the answer is if you really view yourself as a servant? Anything. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. From the lowest task, the way I view it, to the highest task. And didn't Jesus just picture this right before his death when he said, you want to see an example? I'm going to wash feet. He picked the lowest thing that could be done. Healthy churches are just filled with a bunch of people who say, I exist to serve. God has called me to follow him, and I want to serve him. But it goes beyond that. It says, Paul says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, that idea of apostle is used in two ways in the Bible. It's used with the idea of um, like a specific category of people. There are apostles. If you want to see the biblical requirements for that, you can read Acts chapter 1. Apostles had to be people who walked with Jesus and who saw him after he was raised from the dead. And Paul says, I was an apostle out of due time or undue time because God appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And so when we talk about specific, the office of apostles, there were 12 plus 1. So there's only ever been 13 apostles. But when we talk about the idea of people who are sent, with the message of what God has to say, you know that's something we're all called to? What Paul would actually call us is not apostles, but ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, sent wherever he wants us to go. So in these two titles, what God is really telling us is uh, the, the healthy church is filled with people who go wherever God wants them to go and do whatever God wants them to do. Is that you? Have, have you found a place Say, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God has sent me to do. And I'm just going to plug in and do it. Paul's really modeling for us what a life of following Jesus looks like. And then Paul shows us his heartbeat. Look at this. He says, I'm a, a servant and a sent one. And here's the reason. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. 
in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Those words, for the sake, it's like, for this reason, this is, this is what makes me tick. This is what I get excited about. This is the mission that I live for. This is what drives me. This is, if we wanted to use a business term, this is my why. And, and I fear that this is part of the reason that it's such a struggle to be a healthy church. Is because we're tempted to t- chase so many other things and think they're important. But what Paul is saying here is there are like four things that are very, 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 very important to him. They're what make him tick. Can you see them there? In case you can't, I've underlined them, right? A health, in a healthy church, we care deeply about faith, truth, godliness, and hope. Can you see those things? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. We are passionate about people coming to saving faith. And these verses tell us that God is in the works of saving a specific group of people. Now, we're not going to get into a two-hour discussion on election this morning. But I do really want to recommend to you, uh, John Coppice here, he's one of the pastors at Gospel Grace Church, and they preached through Titus a year or two ago? Yeah, long time ago, six months ago. And if you want to hear a better sermon on Titus 1 through 4 than mine, uh, Lucas Counterman preached through this text. And he took about 10 or 15 minutes to walk through what the Bible teaches about the doctrine of election. And I know that's a trigger word, right, for a lot of people. It's a trigger concept. It, it gets terrifying fast or, like, exciting fast, right? There are people who are like, woohoo, preach it. The people are like, don't say what I think you're going to say next. But the reality is that it's a biblical idea. The New Testament uses the word in Romans 8, in Colossians 3. There's a clear reality that God is the primary actor in salvation. And I would really recommend that you listen to about the 20 to 30 minute mark of that sermon. But one of the things that the Bible teaches us over and over again is that people aren't pursuing God. There's a whole church movement built around seekers. And the reality is that most of us are on a dead run away from God. Doing our own thing, going our own way. And the only way that anyone comes to Christ is God reaches in and rescues them. Do you remember when God did that for you? Do you remember when God reached you in your sin and rescued you? I was 14 years old at a summer Bible camp. And one of the camp counselors got up and just shared how God had used his word that summer to show him that he was a sinner, that Jesus had died for his sins, and that he had never personally trusted Christ himself. And I just remember sitting there. I don't remember exactly where I was at the room, but I remember feeling the entire weight of what was being said. And in my heart going, that's who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm going my own way. I need a savior. And even though I've grown up in church and I've heard this a hundred times, this is for me. So I went out and I talked to one of my camp counselors and he walked through what God says. Verses like Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And you know what? Those verses weren't new to me. They weren't stunning to me. They weren't shocking to me, but they were what my heart needed to hear. You know what I did? I said, Christ, I want to trust you. I want you to be my savior. You know what happened in that moment? God 
rescued Matt Parker. Not because Matt Parker was a good person or because I was full of desire for God on my own, but because he's gracious and merciful. And do you know that as a church, a healthy church gets that this is the starting point of why we exist. If we lose our heart for people coming to Christ, for them experiencing the saving faith that we experience, we are dead in the water. That's why we sang the songs that we sang. And don't you ever find yourself on Sunday just being awakened in your heart to the truths you already know? Healthy churches care deeply about saving faith. If you want to think about election and God's rescue of people, here's a great summary. None get less than they deserve in our runaway from God. God brings justice. But some get more than they deserve. And that's God's grace. So our heart beats with this idea of saving faith. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? For the sake of the faith of God's elect, look at this, and their knowledge of the truth. We don't just want to see people come to faith or we don't just want to be in a place where we've come to faith ourselves, but where we are growing in knowing God and his truth. We never want to stagnate where we think we've learned enough. There's always more to learn. There's always places to grow. And as a church, that's why we go through book by book. That's why we offer opportunities to learn in other ways and other capacities. We're trying to figure out the fall. I mean, some of us feel like we're trying to figure out tomorrow. We're trying to figure out the fall. And in part, it's because we feel a great burden as your pastors to give you more and more and more knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's the wonder of God's word, isn't it? That you can spend a lifetime searching it and learning and growing. Paul said in Philippians 3 that in essence, nothing else matters if I can just know Jesus. We're working on building planning right now. And part of our frustration is we don't have classrooms in this building to serve the, number, the amount of the church family that we have. And every Sunday we, like, we give all the kids the classrooms and we go, okay, I guess all the adults are in here. And so we're talking about building a building out the back that would have some more classrooms. But the heart of it is, is that we could provide opportunities to pass on the knowledge of the truth. And there's one thing we all need right now. It's just to know what's true. So that's what Paul is passionate about. That's what we should be passionate about. But that truth isn't a dead end. Look at how the verse continues. Which accords with godliness. So we want to see more people trust in Jesus. We want to grow in knowing God through his word. We want to live God's way based on what we know. And isn't this how Christianity differs from dead religion or empty professions? That as God works in our life, it actually transforms us to live differently. It, it's a knowledge that doesn't just make us smarter. It actually changes how we work. It changes how we parent. It changes how we treat our neighbors. It changes the jobs that we, like everything that happens as God teaches us from his word changes how we live. It produces godly living in his commentary on Titus, Tim Chester said this, the, the commentary is called Titus for You. He says, Paul believed that truth could transform people. Sound doctrine could produce solid Christians. In other words, the gospel wouldn't just bring people to God, it would lead them to changed lives, to practical godliness. As we encounter God's truth, may he increase our knowledge and transform our lives to look more and more like Christ. Isn't this the impact on, of God's grace when it touches a life? C can you look back six months or a year 
or five years or 10 years and say, wow, look at how God is transforming me. Like in real practical, look at the fruit of the spirit that, that he's, he's uh, filling me with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness. That's what Jesus does in someone. When he saves them and as they learn about him, he transforms them. So what's behind all this? Look at that last, that first phrase in verse two. In hope of eternal life. We have eternal hope. The verse goes on to tell us that it's hope that lasts, right? It's eternal hope. It's hope that we can count on. In contrast to the people of Crete, there's a God who never lies. He promised it before the ages began. And it's a hope that God has shared with us and we share with others. At the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. These are the things we're supposed to care about. By the way, this is why the the body of believers that are here, that the name of the church is Gospel Hope Church. right? When this church was Trinity Baptist Church, there was a reason that the church was named in that way. You know there's a reason today? Because we really believe that Jesus came and lived and died and changes people's lives. We, we live in the gospel. That's what it means. We live in the good news. And that fills us with hope. And that seems to be becoming a catch word, doesn't it? Hope, 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 hope. You see it everywhere. But most of the hope that the world offers is very temporary. It, it, it goes away quickly. What Jesus offers is eternal hope. Hope that doesn't rest on the next election or a vaccine or if hydrochloro whatever works. It doesn't, it's eternal hope. This is the kind of stuff that we're supposed to put our hands together and say, yes, this is what we share. This is what we're about. And I just wonder this morning, is that really what we care about? Or do we care too much about things that matter too little? Have you found this about yourself? Like, like think about the three or four things that you're probably most passionate about. I mean, if you're really honest. If you get brutally honest with yourself, does saving faith get you excited? Does the knowledge of the truth and growth and godliness and eternal hope, does that like, or are you like me? Where I tend to get really pumped about things that really aren't that big a deal. I mean, God has to work in my heart as I sing to like, but, but I can be like two minutes into a sports event and be all in. I can get really excited about my lawn. Say, that's dumb. I like my lawn. I can get really passionate about my schedule. I mean, my, my marriage can rest on whether I'm five minutes early or five minutes late. How dumb is that? But are you like me? That, that my calorie intake can be more important than... Or when we talk about a gathering of Christians is the thing that we're really set on in our hearts, whether I'm good with the worship style or feel or not, or whether a church has the well-run and well-funded programs or facilities that meet my needs, or whether I'm just like comfortable with this group of people. And if any of that starts to pivot or change, you're like, I'm out. Isn't it sad that in many ways that's what American church has become? A place where we're passionate and like fightingly passionate about all the wrong stuff. And so we talk about Jesus 
and his death and his resurrection and what it means to live with eternal hope. And we're kind of like, uh-huh. I wonder what the closing song's going to be because I might not like it. And that's not going to leave me with the best feel as I leave church and have to go into my life. Do you see what I'm saying? What Paul is modeling for us is the heartbeat of a healthy church. And we go, yes, faith. Oh, that I would wake up in the middle of the night more worried about my neighbors than my sprinklers. Oh, that I would wake up in the middle of the night realizing that I'd miss my time in the word and ready to say, God, I just want to know you more instead of worried about when my direct deposit hits and what bills are coming. That, that I'd be as passionate about growing in godliness as I am about growing in other ways in my life. That's what Paul's saying. This is what gets him up in the morning. It's what drives him. And it's what's supposed to drive us. And I'll tell you what, when that kind of stuff drives us, there's a whole bunch of other things that become really unimportant. I mean, Paul keeps trying to say, stop worrying about this. It's not that important. Stop worrying about that. Stop listening to those teachers. They're off track. Stop, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I feel like sometimes God is saying to me, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. We have a savior, a savior who offers forgiveness of our sins, a right relationship with God, an eternal inheritance, eternal life, and we live in a community of people, most of whom don't know that Savior. So if we're genuinely wanting to be a healthy church, then it's great that we updated our carpet, but who cares? It's great that we have chairs, but who cares? We're working through all these AV things right now, and it's, you're like, ah, oh. it's great that we have AV, but who cares? The point is Jesus. That's what it means to be gospel, hope, church. And despite the muscles, that's not going to happen just because we really want it to. Look at what Paul says. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know what the most desperate need of our church is and of our community? It's grace and peace. You know why Paul says that in almost every letter that he writes? Because that's actually what our churches need. We need God's supernatural work in us and in our community. And we need God to keep us from killing each other. I mean, we, we have a Baptist heritage. You know what Baptists are known for? Killing each other. I didn't like the smell in the auditorium today, so I planted a new church. I wanted blue carpet instead of gray, so I'm out. That person looked at me funny, so see ya. We desperately need grace and peace. And a healthy church gets that. We know we need God's grace and peace. So just a simple question, what makes us tick? What do we actually share together that matters? It's Jesus, saving faith, knowledge of the truth, a pursuit of godliness, and an eternal hope. Praise God that he's given us the stuff we actually need. Let's care about that together. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it reminds us of what really matters. And boy, do we need that. Would you forgive us for having hearts that are quick to care deeply about things that matter little? And would you fill us with a deep care for things that matter a lot? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the spirit 
that works all this stuff out in us. What endurance and patience and gentleness he has in us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.